0: Welcome back to the Long Acres Finance channel, where the focus is on dividend growth investing. If you have listened to any of my content, you probably already know that my main focus is on business quality and valuation, and I actively seek to find the best combination of these two measures. However, I believe the quality factor is significantly more important than the valuation factor. I think the best example for choosing quality over valuation is evidenced by Warren Buffett's long and successful investing career. Mr. Buffett started out as a value investor just like his teacher Benjamin Graham. These gentlemen would seek out what Buffett oftentimes refers to as cigarette butts. These are essentially companies with one puff left in them, similar to a cigarette butt, and Warren Buffett, just like Graham, would invest in these deals, take the free puff, and move on to the next one. This was a profitable investing strategy, but it required the investor to always actively seek out the next cigarette butt. After meeting Charlie Munger, Buffett's investing style shifted towards quality at a fair price. So while he didn't completely move away from valuations, the added measure of quality sparked Buffett's long and prosperous investing career. Unlike cigarette butt companies, quality businesses can be held for very long periods of time, perhaps even forever. These companies continue to reward patient investors with above-average long-term returns and make for a much more boring style of investing, since the investor doesn't have to spend a tremendous amount of time always looking for the next deal. I believe business quality is the most important factor in investing, even more important than valuation. If you invest in the right business and hold this position for a very long period of time, the initial valuation will have little impact on your long-term return. I'm not saying we should throw valuations out the window. What I am saying though is that our primary focus should be on business quality, and secondly we should attempt to value a stock to make sure it isn't grossly overpriced. Most if not all dividend investors are familiar with Schwab's U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, ticker symbol SCHD. It has a wonderful track record, offers an attractive dividend yield, has a history of strong dividend growth, and most importantly doesn't cost an arm and a leg. What you may not know is how this dividend fund actually works, and why its strategy has been so successful. So today I want to take a closer look under the hood of SCHD to see exactly how this fund operates and to see if we can take away any lessons to improve our own investing strategies. The fund tracks the Dow Jones US Dividend 100 Index, so we should start by understanding how this index works. The index uses the Dow Jones US Broad Market Index excluding REITs as its universe of stocks. The initial screeners filter out companies that don't meet the following three rules. First, the company must have a minimum of 10 consecutive years of dividend payments. Second, it must have a float-adjusted market capitalization of at least $500 million. This is essentially the same as the normal market capitalization you're used to seeing except a float adjustment uses only free-floating shares of stock. Free-floating shares are shares available to the public, which excludes any restricted shares. Restricted shares can for example be stock options issued to high-level employees. And finally, a company must have a 3-month, average daily volume of trading, or ADVT, of at least $2 million. As of September 30th, there were 2,524 stocks in the Dow Jones U.S. Broad Market Index, and roughly 300 stocks passed the initial three screens of the Dow Jones U.S. Dividend 100 Index. All of the stocks that do pass these filters are sorted in descending order by their IAD yield. IAD stands for Indicated Annual Dividend, and it is the estimated amount of total dividends on a share of stock for the coming year. This is essentially the forward-looking dividend yield, excluding any special dividends. The top half of stocks based on this ranking are eligible for inclusion in the index. The measurement date for the dividend payment history is the last business day of December, while the float-adjusted market cap and the average daily volume of trading are measured as of the last business day of February. Okay, so once the list of stocks is narrowed down to roughly the top 150, all of the stocks are further ranked based on the following 4 criteria. Number 1 is the free cash flow to total debt ratio. This ratio is computed by taking the annual net cash flow from operating activities divided by total debt. All companies with zero total debt are ranked first. Number 2 is the return on equity, measured by dividing the annual net income by total shareholder equity. Number 3 is the IAD yield. And number 4 is the 5-year dividend growth rate, measured in a slightly different way than normal. The growth rate is computed by taking the trailing 12-month dividend per share and dividing it by the average trailing 12-month dividend per share for the prior 4 years and subtracting one from the result. So for example, at the end of 2021, the average 5-year dividend growth rate using this format would be computed as follows. You take the dividend per share for 2021 and divide it by the average dividend per share for 2017, 18, 19, and 2020 and subtract one from the result. These four rankings are equal weighted and combined into a composite score used to rank the eligible stocks. The top 100 ranked stocks are selected for inclusion in the index with a few buffer rules that favor current constituents. Rule number one is that constituent stocks will remain in the index so long as they are among the top 200 ranked stocks based on composite score. Non-constituents are added to the index based on their rating until the stock count reaches 100. If two non-constituent stocks have the same composite score, the stock with the higher dividend yield is selected first. So these are the rules to figure out which stocks will be part of the index for the following year, and this process is repeated on an annual basis. The next step for building the index is to determine the weight of each stock in the index. Stocks are weighted quarterly, based on a capped, float-adjusted market cap approach. No single stock can have a weight greater than 4%, and no sector can have a weight greater than 25%. So essentially larger companies have higher weights in the index with a cap of 4%. A market cap weighted approach is popular for most indices, but the 4% cap is a unique factor for the Dow Jones US Dividend 100 Index. This prevents just a handful of companies from making up a large portion of the index. If you think about the S&P 500, it uses the same market cap weighing approach, but doesn't have a weight cap. Therefore, a handful of very large companies make up about 20% of the S&P 500. The Dow Jones US Dividend 100 index also runs a daily weight cap check to determine whether a rebalancing is necessary. The test for this is to sum the stocks with weights greater than 4.7%, and if the sum of their weights exceeds 22%, the index will be reweighed using the process I just explained. Quite a robust set of rules and steps are taken to put this index together and maintain it throughout the year. But if we review the process closely and what it actually focuses on, you will find that valuation is not a factor here at least not in the sense of the more popular valuation techniques, such as discounting cash flows or comparing P.E. ratios. The index primarily focuses on a history of dividend growth, liquidity, companies that generate strong cash flows in relation to their debt obligation, a strong return on equity, and attractive dividend yields. SCHD, the fund that tracks this index, has a total of about $37 billion of assets under management. It has been around for almost 11 years and has a very low cost of just 6 basis points, or 0.06%. This means that you are paying $6 per year for every $10,000 you have invested in this vehicle. For all of the work that occurs behind the scenes, as far as stock selection, this is a very low fee to pay. The trailing 12-month yield for the fund is 3.35%, with the 30-day yield being much more attractive at 3.76%. The price-to-earnings ratio is 14.38, which is below the S&P 500's long-term average P.E. ratio. Since November of 2011, the fund has an average compounded annual growth rate of 12.52%, which is 61 basis points better than VTSAX, the total stock market fund from Vanguard. During this nearly 11-year time period, your original investment will multiply about 3.6 times. This means that the fund has doubled investors' money about every 5.75 years. If the fund could maintain this level of compounded growth, an investor could expect every $10,000 invested to grow to about $344,000 in 30 years. The fund has paid out a higher dividend during each year for the last 10 years, and 2022 should be no exception. And the streak should extend to 11 years, once the final dividend for 2022 is paid out this coming December. Long-term dividend growth has been excellent, with all compounded growth periods being above 10 percent. In 2017 and 2018, the fund did have subpar dividend growth rates of slightly less than seven percent. However, in 2019, dividend growth came in at 19.79 percent and 17.64 percent the year after, more than making up for the two below average years. Since 2012, the lowest dividend yield the fund traded for was 2.3 percent with the highest being 4.37%. The average dividend yield offered by the fund has progressively gone up, from a low of 2.41% in 2012 to more than 3% recently. Investing in the fund at Inception on October 20th, 2011 would give you a yield on cost of 9.75% today. Year-to-date through month-end September, the fund is down 15.68%, compared to a loss of 24.89% for VTSAX. The one caveat you may have with SCHD is the lack of exposure to REITs which are not included in the index the fund tracks. Looking at the sector exposure, the fund is overweight to financial stocks, with industrials, information technology, consumer defensive, and healthcare stocks also having large allocations. However, the fund's exposure to information technology is below that of VTSAX. SCHD also has a very low allocation to materials and utilities. While SCHD looks better than VTSAX, both in terms of long-term total return and dividend yield, much of the outperformance is attributed to the last two years. If we compare the compounded annual growth rates for these two funds between November 2011 and December 2020, VTSAX wins with a compounded annual growth rate of 15.06% to SCHD's 13.95%. Therefore, I don't think it's fair to expect to outperform VTSAX with SCHD in the long run. Even extending the time period through year-end 2021 sees SCHD trail of VTSAX in compounded annual growth rate by 64 basis points but these two investment vehicles are unique and serve a different purpose. While VTSIX gives you very broad exposure to the total US stock market, SCHD is more focused on dividend income. I think SCHD is a perfect fund to use as a core holding in a dividend-oriented strategy, and it will be tough to build a portfolio of individual stocks that will outperform the fund in total return over a long period of time.